Ephesians chapter 1, St Paul's letter to Ephesians chapter 1. From the section that I read to you from verses 15 through to 23, and I'll just highlight there two verses. He says, I pray that the, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And in the last verse he says, And God placed all things under Christ's feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, bless us as we hear your word, for your word is truth. Amen. Friends, we celebrate Ascension Day today, the time when Jesus' earthly ministry finished. He was taken from this world and ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, as we say in the Apostles' Creed. In one sense you could understand that this would have been a sad time for the disciples. When you say goodbye to someone and you don't know when you're going to see them again, there's a note of sadness in your heart. Someone whom you love, someone whom you've known is going and you don't know when you'll see them again. However, when we read in the Gospel lesson uh, of Jesus' ascension, we hear how the disciples returned to Jerusalem And it says, with great joy. Why is it that they experience such great joy? Well, that's what I want to explain to you in my sermon today and help you to understand the position, the power, the nature, the work and the authority of our risen Lord who is King of kings and Lord of lords. In a simple way, you may describe it like this. When Jesus was here on earth in his earthly ministry, he was confined to one place. So when he was at Capernaum, he was not in Nazareth, nor was he in uh, Tiberias or in Jerusalem or Bethany for that matter, let alone Jericho. He was confined. If you wanted to go and see him, if you wanted to speak with him, you'd have to go up to Capernaum where he was or wait until he came to Jerusalem or some other place where you were. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God the Father. He he fills the universe with his presence and power. It means that we who are gathered here in Cairns today can be so thankful and appreciate the presence of God in Christ who is here amongst us, who has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us. We can speak with him. We can hear his word. We can be close to him and we can grow in that relationship with him. Similarly, people in widespread parts of the world can feel exactly the same thing and experience the same thing, that God is with them 
Christ is with them. He empowers them in their life, fills their life with wisdom, speaks to them through his word, and they can speak to him as a child speaks to their father. For we can speak to him intimately and personally about any matter that concerns us in our life. What a wonderful thing to know that Jesus is with us. In fact, St Paul could say, it's not I who live but Christ who lives within me. What a blessing that is. And that's the blessing of the ascension. Now, and that's the blessing that we experience when St Paul, in this wonderful prayer, is praying for the people at Ephesus. He was concerned about them and loved them dearly. Ephesus was a very important congregation for him and in this letter, here is really a letter which describes the work and nature and, uh, say, of, of the church. He is speaking about the church and the ministry of the church and how that ministry is done. He was concerned about Ephesus and felt close to them because that's where he spent the largest part, uh, spent the longest time of any place during his ministry. Uh, you know the missionary journeys that we read for in the book of Acts, how he travelled from place to place and was in most places a remarkably short time. But in Ephesus he was there two years. One reason for that, we assume, he doesn't say it actually, but we assume is that because it was a very strategic trading city, quite a, a, a wealthy city from trade because that is where the Great Silk Road, and it was really a number of roads anyway, that came from China, from the uh, east, from Asia, came and where the traders came to Ephesus. There they would meet the traders from Europe and of course trade their goods and uh, the, the city became wealthy from that. It was a very pagan city. We hear of Paul's ministry there in Acts chapter 19. St Paul there spent his time because he knew that people would come there for a while and he made efforts to meet everyone that he possibly could in the city, teaching uh, not only in the synagogue but it tells us in the hall of Tyrannus, in other words in a public hall where anyone could come along and listen to what he had to say. And it's clear that people not only listened but believed. Not everybody but many people did. And he had great influence because we hear the rioting against him where the silversmiths who were making images of the goddess uh, um, Diana uh, were finding that their business was uh, in a bit of a downturn because of the influence of the gospel which St Paul preached. In addition to that, he visited them from house to house. That meant he went and walked along the streets, met, met the people who he possibly could and wherever he was welcomed, uh, there he would sit and explain to them the gospel. And he would have certainly gone around the marketplace and where people gathered in public spaces to engage there wherever there was an opportunity and perhaps telling them not only a little of the gospel but saying if you want to hear more, come at 10 o'clock to the Hall of Tyrannus tomorrow and I'm going to be there and explain more to you. You gather his work. There's a work in which he built a congregation there and he felt close to that congregation. That's why he wrote his letter to encourage them in their life in the church and here we have the privilege in this section 
of hearing his prayer. We know that Paul was a great man of prayer. What did he say? Well, here it is. He explains his prayer. I'm not going to go into every detail, but simply want to talk about it in relationship to the ascension. Because what we celebrate in the ascension is that Christ has risen to the right hand of God the Father, isn't it? He said, he's, he experienced, he says, I pray that the heart, your heart may be enlightened in, a, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Let, I want you to think about just those things for a moment that he prayed for, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious inheritance in his holy people. These things are in the future. Some people have said, uh, have um, really mocked the Christian faith for this. They say, oh, well, you don't care about the immediate things, you just care about the future and the great by and by, you know, great pie in the sky sort of thing, and don't care about the suffering and concerns of people in this world. Well, there was a very interesting article in the Australian on May the 5th about a study which, was for, uh, which looked at the well-being of people and how is it that some people in this difficult world in which we live, a challenging world in which we live, how come they not only survive but do very well and others are caught up in the anxieties and troubles in this world. Well, I could preach on that a little bit, but this scientific study was interesting. In a very short article, uh, this is what it said. Scientists, well, you, you, you believe it if you know that there's sort of uh, an inverted commas, but they've studied this sort of thing and said, they've found long-term perspectives give people a leg up in a study that applied 21st century computing to ancient oriental philosophies, talking about faith, issues of faith. New York researchers ran a computer simulations to show that when the chips are down, long-term contentment trumps instant gratification. If you look just at the immediate circumstances, rather you look at the long-term the big picture. They found that steadfast optimists were better survivors than short-term pleasure seekers. The Cornell University team says its results offer scientific support to ancient philosophies, and I'm reading there the Christian faith, that prioritise long-term satisfaction over fleeting immediate joy. You have to evaluate your life on the basis of more than what happened just now, the co-author and psychology professor Shimon Edelman said. They found that surviving characters who thrive were those that attached more weight to longer-term happiness than momentary bliss. The article was much longer than that. I'm just quoting a few sections from it. But it's worth thinking about because that's precisely what Paul was talking about here and what we're celebrating in Ascension Day in Christ. Because St Paul says there, I pray, he says, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. 
Our hope lies in the future, doesn't it? It's something that you're looking forward to. So you have a much broader perspective of things than the immediate. In the immediate circumstance, you may be experiencing suffering, hardship, anxiety, terror, trouble, whatever it is that causes you to worry and that can easily overcome your life. St. Paul says, no, I pray that the hope to, that you may have, know the hope to which he has called you and then he uses another word to emphasise that. I pray the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. An inheritance is something in the future, isn't it? That you're looking forward to in the future. And this is how it is in our faith. Christ rules and he will never be not ruling. He will rule for all eternity. He rules over our hearts and lives now. He rules over this world now. And his rule will continue forever in eternity. And our lives in him, because of his death, because of his glorious resurrection and the great promises that he has made, he will rule over us forever. There's no moment in our life when we will not exist in him. Our life in this world is short, momentary, goes too quickly. Tell me that, tell that to me. I've just retired and I can't believe that my life has gone so quickly. That's how it is. It just seems like a blink, a flick of the fingers and here you are, I'm retired. Well, doing a bit of course, but you get the idea. Our life is short, temporary, momentary, and any old person will tell you that. And then there's eternity. We see our life in the context of eternity. And if, if you believe the study and have a look and be interesting to read it, wouldn't it? That's exactly what these Cornell University people were saying. If you look just at the immediate circumstance, you're going to be disappointed and upset and it can easily overwhelm you. If you look at the long-term picture, it's quite a different perspective that sustains you, that gives you joy and happiness and satisfaction because you're looking beyond the immediate. But the question is asked, if Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if he rules over the whole universe with his power, then what in the world is he doing? Have people ever challenged you with that? And they say, well, if you believe in God and he has all power and authority and he's almighty, why in the world is he doing anything? And I'll cite this example of what's happening that's bad in the world, this war, this fighting, this bloodshed, this suffering. Why is this good person suffering from cancer? Why did God take uh, this person from me in death and so on. There are many, many, many examples that people will point to and they say, why doesn't God do something? And it does challenge us. It tells us about our life in this world and what this is talking about is how God rules. He does not rule as a dictator because that would be required. He'd have to zap some people and do this and so on and sort of deal with evil until he's got everything right. What he does is deal with human hearts. 
this world changes, communities change, people's lives change when their hearts are changed, when they change from deep within themselves. That's why St Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That wonderful poetic phrase that I love so much describes these things that take place in our inner being. How God works there, grips us within, fills us with his love and empowers us so that we can live in this world with confidence in spite of the circumstances around us. And then, with that power within us, we're able to bring light and love and hope to those around us who are suffering in this way. We are the people that he has chosen for his work in this world. And when his work is done, how is it? Through us in so many ways. That's why the last section, uh, the last verse in this section in Ephesians chapter 1, the last verse in chapter 1 is so important. It it describes the power of Christ. That power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That great power that defeated death. Wouldn't we like that when we've sat... Uh, stood at the grave of someone loved and wanted to raise them again. A great, a mighty, transforming, life-giving power. That's the power. And how is it used? And God placed all things under Christ's feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Let me say it again. Appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for you people who love the Lord. This is the confidence that we go with Christ in this world. So Christ's work is done in and through us. This can often be done in very simple ways. A kindly word to the neighbour, an inquiry about how they're going when they, you know that they're facing difficulties. There may be some challenge, some worry or so on, but you help them and we help in the name of Christ. When people work together like that, then whole communities are changed. And it talks about the body of Christ. We don't all have the same gifts and abilities, but when we work together, there's a marvellous array of abilities that we have which we can bring into our community, into the lives of people around us. And when you spread this around the world, then you see how people's hearts and lives are changed Communities are changed, societies are changed and history can be made and changed through the goodness and love of people. Think of those good things that happen in the world. Our, the news that we have in our uh, uh, homes each evening is toxic, telling us of all the bad things that happen. Some people have tried to publish a newspaper. I'm not sure if they've had a television channel like that either, which concentrates on the good thing. But there would be endless stories that tell of the good things that happen. We don't hear it. We are manipulated by the news and somehow get addicted to all these bad things that we hear. Think of what God does. Think of how he has chosen you. Think of his wonderful blessing and how he rules 
to empower you and give you the confidence that you can live and work in this world as his servants and ambassadors. That's what it means to live in the ascension. That's what, what it means to honour him who is King of kings and Lord of lords. That it, what, that's what it means to live in obedience to him in this world. Servants of his grace, ambassadors of his love, people who speak and pray of his goodness, kindness, love, compassion and new life and hope which he brings to this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Saviour. Amen.